Welcome to the Adelphoi podcast. Adelphoi is a music production company based in London and Amsterdam, and we do music and sound design for branding and commercials worldwide. This podcast series is an offshoot of the work that I do there, but this is the place where I get to talk about the bigger issues of what works, what doesn't work, and why. I'm Jamie Masters, and I'm speaking to you in the autumn of 2021. For some reason, we've got a lot of French people in today. Hi. Okay. Well, all right. Uh, Anyway, in this episode, I'm going back to audio branding, but this time a different kind. Not Sonic logos, but a full-length brand theme. In fact, one of the most successful of all brand themes, that's British Airways, which is based on this piece of music. What I'm playing you is a bit of the flower duet from the opera L'Acme by the French composer Léo Delibes, and that was written back in the 19th century. Lovely, isn't it? I mean, opera may not be your thing, it's not particularly mine, but this song is sort of special. Do you want to know what's going on? I mean, it's an opera, so there's a story, and these singers are characters in that story, so they're singing about something. Well, here's Catherine Deneuve to tell you. It's from a movie where her character explains what the song is about. Lakme is a Brahmin princess in India. She has a slave named Malika. In a magical garden, they sing how they'll follow the stream to its source over the water. The movie is The Hunger, directed by Tony Scott, of which more later. That theme, which I'm just going to call Lacme from now on, first appeared on a British Airways ad in 1984, so that's getting on for 40 years ago. And there was a time, maybe as little as 10 years ago, when anyone who heard that tune would instantly recognise it as British Airways. I mean, let me give you an example. This is from 2008, and it's comedian Hugh Dennis on BBC's Mock the Week. And in this bit of the show, the contestants take it in turns to improvise jokes on the theme of commercials that never made it to air. Here goes. We've lost your bags. We've lost your bags. So the joke there is about the notoriously chaotic opening of British Airways Terminal 5 at Heathrow in 2008. But what I want you to notice is how quickly the audience got the joke. How quickly they recognised what he was singing. That's out of the blue, no context, no clues, just his voice, and some different words. Start to finish, that was about eight seconds. That association may be a bit less reliable today, but that's because from about ten years ago, they stopped using LACME in their advertising, just pulled the plug on it. I mean, LACME continued to 
hover in the background as kind of legacy, and you could still hear a bit of it on their in-flight safety video if you are actually travelling with BA. But there's now a whole new generation of people who simply haven't been exposed to it the way the rest of us were. Like Eddie, for instance. So, any idea what that is? Uh, no. It's like kind of opera classical, I guess. But then, just this year, British Airways brought LACME back. You can hear it on a couple of small ads from the end of 2020, and then it plays a central role in their big showpiece commercial from earlier this year, around April. Don't know if you've seen it, it's a kind of playful thing about BA staff coming into work all keen and ready to serve, with you know, big grins on their faces. We all have something that makes us fly. For us... It's you. So clearly British Airways still sees some value in its old brand theme. But I seriously doubt this heralds LACME's triumphant return to BA advertising for the future. I'd be surprised if this is anything more than a special guest appearance for old time's sake. Since then, BA has actually appointed a new creative agency and they probably have something very different in mind. Truth is, LACME has long been a bit of a problem for BA. No one could fail to recognise its emotional power and its resilience. But at the same time, it's been very constraining. It hasn't been a good fit for the new narratives the brand has been trying to push over the last 10-15 years. It's an interesting problem to have, But actually, I'm going to save that for another episode. Let's call that part two. Right now, in part one, I want to look at how LACME became BA's brand theme in the first place. If you like, the rise before the fall. So let's go back through the round window to the early days of the brand, long before LACME, so about the mid-70s. British Airways as such came into being in 1974, when the two big state-owned airlines, BOAC and BEA, were merged into a single mega-airline, also owned by the state. Now, I don't know anything about the business arguments for bundling everything up under single management, but in branding terms, there were some easy wins. The new airline now had the largest network of routes in the world and, well, bigger means better, or at least the marketing was there to tell you so. They even took the old BOAC slogan, BOAC takes good care of you, BOAC takes good care of you, and one-upped it into the new British Airways slogan, we'll take more care of you. We'll take more care of you. Of course, the other big thing going on was Britishness. Not that anyone was unaware that BEA and BOAC were British airlines, but the emotional logic of merging was to create a single national airline that everyone could be proud of. And the brand name put the British out there for all to see, rather than hiding it away in an acronym. 
British Airways is our airline. Fly the flag. The best of Britain goes with you. So, one of the things I'm interested in here is an old conundrum about how to represent a brand which has a national identity. And airlines are a very special category of that because they have a home audience and a foreign audience. And that tends to throw into sharper relief how much of a disconnect there is between standard national stereotypes and, yep, realities on the ground. And so it was for British Airways. As the brand began to find its feet in the late 70s, early 80s, it was addressing its various audiences in markedly different terms. And nowhere was that difference more obvious than between the US and the UK. So in the US, there was a series of commercials fronted by Robert Morley, a well-known British character actor, in his element as a bowler-hatted toff. You know, very plummy and slightly daft. Join the British Revolution. We'll take more care of you. So it's in the US that the advertising had this overtly British flavour. And sometimes they threw in a bit of stereotypical British music too. Like we just heard that snatch of Rule Britannia. And that was stuck on the end of the British Grenadiers March. We're revolutionising travel to London with our British Airways club class, like all clubs. And of course, that's all quite ludicrous and patronising, really, if you happen to be British. But isn't that always the way with national stereotypes? I'm sure French people feel the same way about, you know, accordion music and blokes wearing stripy shirts and berets. Selling onions. Mm-hmm. Bonjour, je suis Monsieur le Camembert et j'apporte mes oignons. Je ne peux pas trouver ma bicyclette. So go to the UK and the ads had a completely different character. For us, it was the stewardess Ros Hanby, who was the face of British Airways. I don't think we ever heard her voice, but definitely the face. But we also had a sung jingle, a full-on American style sung jingle. We'll take more care of you. Fly the flag. That ran for seven or eight years. It's all very friendly and inclusive, and even with that bit about the flag, you can't miss the transatlantic flavour. The singer's accents are American, the whole musical vibe is American, and in fact they did commission it from an American jingle writer, Jake Holmes. So, nothing British about it at all, really. But obviously that must have been the point. As it happens, a lot of other national airlines were up to the same tricks, aping American-style jingles. And also, Britain in the 1970s was, how to put this, a troubled, benighted place, in many ways quite dreary and parochial. Bad food, nothing worked. And America was this shining beacon of excitement and fun, 
and a certain kind of quality. So that feeling is what those UK ads were trying to capture. British faces and American glamour. A little less of the Dunkirk spirit and a little more Disneyland. So that's a nice paradox. You've got British Airways, the national airline, the flag carrier, no less, representing Britain to the world. And for its American audience, it sells itself as an absurd toffee-nosed caricature. We're British, you know. And to its British audience, it's a homegrown Pan Am. Was there a better way of doing things? I mean, was it even possible to present just one authentically British face to the whole world? Yeah, yeah, well, as I say, a conundrum. And I think it's sort of nagged at the brand ever since. But to be honest, I think that question is kind of backwards. British Airways represents Britain by being British Airways and by wrapping itself in the Union Jack. You might as well worry that Britain is not British enough. You know, from a branding point of view, that part of it is basically covered. Any more that the brand chooses to add is precisely that, a choice. And yeah, if drawing on stock British cultural memes and stereotypes does make the BA brand more distinctive, that's great, but there are pitfalls too. You know, Britishness is a can of worms, and national pride is a tricky thing to get right. And besides, Britishness isn't really that big a selling point for Brits. It's the water we swim in, so why make a thing of it? What's the draw? So look, I'm okay with an American-style jingle, in principle, and I'm even okay with Robert Morley. British Airways takes more care of you in the sky above and on the earth below. That upper-class posturing doesn't play very well with me, but if it works in the US, fine. But even the best branding in the world, and to be honest, I don't think it was that wasn't going to be able to cover for the real problems British Airways was going through at the time. They just weren't a particularly good airline. They were big, but not actually better. The service was poor, management was constantly admired in disputes with staff, they were making a loss of well over £100 million a year, and their reputation with their customers was as low as it's ever been. The running joke was that BA stood for bloody awful. When Margaret Thatcher came into power in 1979, she earmarked it for privatisation. So in 1981, she appointed Sir John King, soon to be Lord King, as chairman of British Airways and basically told him to knock the airline into shape so that it could be sold off. Lord King made some quite drastic structural changes and he redefined the whole ethos of the airline to focus on long-haul, business-class passengers where the most profit could be made. And in 1983, Saatchi and Saatchi were brought in to handle the marketing. And it's at that point that you see a complete change of tone in the way British Airways presented itself. Gone are the happy, smiley faces of passengers young and old being overseen by friendly stewardesses, always on the lookout for the lost teddy bear. 
Instead, things got kind of strange and surreal. Saatchi and Saatchi had this thing for turning boring brand claims into big, striking visual ideas, often fantastical ones like you know, the whole of Manhattan Island lifting off and landing at Heathrow Airport. Roger, Manhattan. Continue descent to flight level 8 to zero. Roger, descending to SL80. Or the astronauts that get stranded on the moon but still manage to find a British Airways terminal to get them back home. Smoking or non-smoking? Non-smoking. British Airways. Whether or not you understood the message, each ad was an event, and each ad stuck in the mind. Also around this time, the British Airways brand acquired a new slogan, the world's favourite airline. 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 And it was always done like that, in a posh British accent. That was a key part of it. It was the audio equivalent of the of the flag. And it was always a man, a white man. I mean, this was the 1980s. And it was usually someone quite well known. I mean, I think that was Tom Conti at the end. And what sounded like Robert Hardy and maybe even Anthony Quayle. And they had a Sonic logo. I mean, people didn't call them Sonic logos back then. But this jet noise here... That's meant to be the sonic boom of the Concorde. And they used that at the end of their ads for the next ten years. And all that was applied globally. That was a new thing for the brand. I mean, there were still territorial variations, but in principle, they were all united by the favourite airline slogan in a posh British accent and the sonic logo of the Concorde jet noise. British Airways, the world's favourite airline. We'll get to LACME in a moment, but just while we're here, let me dwell on that jet noise. Because, ironically, they used that much more consistently than any other audio device in their history. We don't remember it now, and it's been rather overshadowed by LACME. But let's notice the job it's doing. I mean, I don't think it's obvious that it is the Concorde, But if you happen to know that that's what it's supposed to be, then yes, that was quite a big brand marker for them, having Concorde. A lot of prestige there. But even if you don't know, it sounds like jet noise and a kind of explosion or or a lightning strike. Maybe it's a big gun or, or a rocket launcher or something. And what it says is speed and power and ambition. And apart from that, the point of it is just to be there consistently and give an impression of coherence and reliability, which I think it does very well. Compared with LACME, it's obviously a very different kettle of fish, but but actually I think they ended up complementing each other. Strength and softness. The iron fist in the velvet glove. So, how did they end up with LACME? Well, pretty much by accident. But I think we'll pick up that story in the second half. Right now, it's time for a break. 
There's only so much that a person can take We're having this break for your sanity's sake Let your mind wander a moment We'll be back in a bit That feels good, doesn't it? Now I'm sure that you're raring to go to the end And it's time to get on with the show So the first half was about the British Airways brand before LACME and how the brand character was completely redefined under Lord King with Saatchi and Saatchi taking over the marketing. All the jolly, friendly, pseudo-American style posturing was gone. All the potty sergeant majors and bowler hats were history, just torn out and shredded. And it was replaced with a kind of strength, self-importance and seriousness of purpose that was always clothed in whimsical humour and surreal spectacle. Whatever you feel about the politics, and I have to say I'm quite conflicted, those Saatchi ads from the 1980s are incredibly impressive and I think they're among the best, most transformative advertising I've ever seen. And so to Lakme. One of the directors that Saatchi and Saatchi got in to do their commercials was Tony Scott, who, like his brother Ridley Scott, got their start in advertising before making it big in Hollywood. And Lakme was a track that Tony Scott had used a couple of years before in his 1982 movie The Hunger, which I played a bit of at the start. On that movie, he was working with the composer-arranger Howard Blake. You know Howard Blake... He did The Snowman. We're walking in the earth. Yeah, that Howard Blake. So Tony Scott was looking for suggestions, old classical tracks he could use on the movie, and Howard Blake fished out Lacme from his prodigious record collection and ended up doing an arrangement of it for one of the key scenes. It's a lesbian vampire seduction scene, if you want to know. Catherine Deneuve is seducing Susan Sarandon. Is it a love song? I told you. It was sung by two women. Sounds like a love song. And I suppose that's what it is. Are you making a pass at me, Mrs. Blurlock? And the track works on several levels, but the most obvious one is two women in bed and two female vocalists coming together, intertwining rapturously. By any standards, Lakme is a remarkably beautiful piece of music, and it doesn't surprise me that it's stuck in Tony Scott's mind. So, with a bit of lateral thinking, he found a new place for Lakme on one of his ads for British Airways in 1984. This was for the extra-wide seats in Super Club Class. But being the widest seat in the air, it isn't the easiest to fit through the door. Now on all and the ad shows the roof of an aircraft cabin lifting. From the and these huge, new, comfy seats glide gently down into place. And it's all choreographed the languid lilt of Lakme. It was an inspired bit of soundtracking, 
and it was completely unlike anything used on an airline before. And British Airways fell in love with it. They started using it on other ads, always in the same kind of arrangement, and it began to function more and more like a brand theme. They weren't absolutely faithful to it, and whenever it suited them they did have the occasional fling with other classical tracks. But Lacme was definitely the favourite, and they continued to use it in more or less the original form for the next five years, long enough to establish it firmly as the British Airways brand emblem. And again, that was globally. I'm sure they still made some different ads for different territories, but Lacme was a common element. It wasn't just for the UK audience, it was the face they showed to the world, and the world loved it. One of the interesting things about Lacme is that before all this happened, it was virtually unknown. It was effectively an undiscovered gem, the sort of thing you'd have to be a real opera geek to ever have heard of. It was the British Airways ads that made it famous. Now, the piece was public domain, meaning that technically anyone could use it, but because it had appeared out of nowhere, everyone thought of it as the British Airways theme. And much later on, that became a crucial advantage when other brands did start sniffing around Lacme and trying to use it themselves. They always sounded like they were referencing British Airways, or just ripping them off. And that puts it into a rare category. Plenty of brands use pre-existing tracks, but those tracks come with their own identity, which has nothing to do with the brand. When Cathay Pacific used this tune for all their ads during the 1980s, was that... The Cathay Pacific theme, or Barry White's Love's theme. A bit of both. And when United Airlines started using this piece from about 1987 onwards... Was that the United Airlines theme or Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. And again, it's a bit of both, once the brand had used it often enough to establish the connection. But neither piece ever belonged wholly to their brand in the way that Lacme did to British Airways. So that's certainly one factor that worked in BA's favour. But the success of Lacme as a brand theme clearly owes a lot to the particular qualities of the theme itself. It's beautiful, it's gentle and relaxing, it sounds like flying, it sounds luxurious, it sounds premium. And there's also something about Lacme that's curiously, well now look, maybe not modern, but not the usual thing for classical style opera. Just having two women sing together like that, melody and counter-melody, is not something you hear every day. But it's really the harmony that strikes me as slightly non-standard. It's got this poignancy about it. And that's because, well, it's in a major key. 
but it keeps coming back to the minor chord sounds that lurk in that key. I mean, I mean these chords here. I mean, Dalib, the composer, could have made it much more ordinary, like this. But that chord at the end there, that going from the tonic to this chord, that's a non-standard move in classical music, but actually very common nowadays. So that's probably what makes it sound more timeless. But here's another interesting thing about Lacme that I'm sure hasn't escaped your notice. Lacme is not British. The story goes that Lord King, who was under the impression that Lacme had been written by Howard Blake, asked him at a party years later why he'd done it in French. And what did the words mean anyway? Fly Air France, said Howard Blake. Apparently that joke fell like a dead sparrow. But if that anecdote tells us anything, it's that no one actually cared where Lacme came from because they were hearing other things in it. Because it was so beautiful and calm and aristocratic and because, for an airline, it sounded like effortless, heavenly flying. To tell the truth, I reckon most people had no idea that Lacme was French. You certainly couldn't tell from listening to it. Do you know what language it's in? I genuinely don't know. I, I can't even understand a single syllable, like... free thol Okay, I'm holding a gun to your head. What language is it? Is it English? It doesn't sound like any language. It was in opera language. So look, if I took that seriously, maybe I could put together some argument about how the essence of Britishness lies, paradoxically, in the way it borrows and adapts from other cultures, and how France and England were historically very closely linked, how he had French kings, and have you noticed that the motto of the royal family is in French? Dieu et mon roi. Look, it's on the cover of my passport. Blimey, there's a, there's a whole load of French there. On y soit qui mal y pense. What's that supposed to mean? And so on. But none of that amounts to a hill of beans, because what actually happened, over time, was that Lacme became British. It became an emblem of Britishness, because it was the theme for British Airways. One other thing, though. Just think about what other airlines were doing at the time. In fact, I've got a little selection here of ads from around the same period, early to mid-80s. Most of them from the US, but I've got some other countries too. American Airlines. TWA. This is Pan Am. British Caledonian. Air New Zealand. Iberia Airlines Mexico Malaysia 
Argentina. Peru. Air Canada Oniva. TAA, that's Trans Australian Airlines. So some are American, some of them not, but they're all pushing the same buttons. They're all using warm, upbeat, optimistic music to promote a message about friendliness, good service, and in some cases, national pride. And that's what British Airways had originally bought into with its We'll Take More Care of You jingle. And some of those other jingles are really powerful. I, I can't resist playing you my two favourites. This one's United Airlines, Flying the Friendly Skies. And this is Pan Am. You can't beat the experience, A really nice piece of work, and it has many admirers even today. But then come back to Lacme, with its hauteur, its delicate poise and self-control, and its indecipherable words, and you can see how Lacme is the complete opposite of that kind of approach. It's the very embodiment of stiff upper lip, reining in the emotions with the famed British reserve. And it consciously opposes the uncouth frankness and rabble-rousing of that American style of salesmanship. So in that sense, the choice of Lacme really is very British, no matter what its origins. So, just to draw this chapter to an end, LACME is one of the clearest examples of how longer brand themes work on a different level from Sonic logos. It's really only with the longer themes that you have the opportunity to enchant people and make an emotional connection, which LACME does in spades. And if you play your cards right, that connection can be transformative. I mean, it can really change people's feelings about the brand. Now, when I say that, I'm assuming that the thing the brand is selling is up to scratch. You know, you can't expect the musical theme to carry the brand. Well, not for long anyway. But all other things being equal, it gives the brand character and distinctiveness. Something that people can relate to and have feelings about. One thing I take from LACME is that it doesn't always pay to be too literal about brand congruence. I mean, for any piece of music to work as a brand theme, there has to be some point of connection, otherwise it just won't stick. But it doesn't have to be an exact fit. It can be tangential. It can have things in it that are just irrelevant or go against the grain a bit. In fact, it's better that way because that makes the theme richer and more suggestive. Because, well, let me put it this way, music is like metaphor. And metaphors are strongest and most vivid when they're bold, when, they're, when the fit is not perfect. And that's what Lacme was. On the face of it, it was an old, forgotten bit of French opera. 
It wasn't modern, it wasn't exciting, it wasn't fun, it wasn't inclusive, it wasn't about new experiences or travel, and it wasn't British. But what it had was an otherworldly strangeness that caught the imagination and made the idea of air travel seem like some delicious, heavenly dream. So that's how I'm leaving it for now. I haven't finished with British Airways yet. In fact, LACME's greatest triumph, the so-called FACE commercial, was yet to come in 1989. And that's where we'll start next time. But part two will mostly be about looking at BA's golden predicament, what it is to have one of the world's most famous and most beloved brand themes, and not really want it anymore. So, what went wrong? And why? And is there any way back? Or is LACME now a dead duck? Answers to those questions, and more, in part two. That's all from me, Jamie Masters. Until next time. This podcast is brought to you by Adelphoi Music. Adelphoi is a music production company based in the heart of London and Amsterdam, connecting brands to their audiences through music and sound.